Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word as it goes forth today. I pray, Lord, that you would give me clarity and anointing to make known the word of the living God. For it is the entrance of your word that gives light. May the eyes of our heart be lit up today, flooded with revelation knowledge. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Open your Bibles this morning to Psalms 34 and verse 8. The 34th Psalm and the 8th verse says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. We talked a little while last week on that verse. And it is not really about someone describing to you how good he is. But you experiencing his goodness in your life for yourself. We looked at Psalm 23 where he says, You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. And you revive my drooping head. And my cup brims over with blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 9, he says, Oh, fear the Lord, or reverence the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Verse 10, the young lions do lack. I mean, even people that are strong physically and strong intellectually and strong educationally, if they're not hooked up to the right source, if they're not connected to him, the most high, they're going to run into a place where they come to the end of themselves. And if they don't put their trust in him, it can equal devastation in their lives. The Bible says the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord, they shall not want any good thing. The fact of the matter is this. If we will seek a good God, we will receive good things. Now, don't try to be a receiver of things when you're not a seeker of God. Certainly, he says he will not withhold anything from them that walk uprightly. But part of walking uprightly with the Lord is being a seeker first of his kingdom, of his ways of being and doing that which is right. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And the truth of the matter is, He only does good things. Regardless of what religion might say about Him, He's good. He is good, and He will forever, ever be good. Verse 11. He says, come children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desires life? That's you and me, right? And loves many days. Not just days, but good days. Not just a redundant kind of life, but an abundant kind of life. What is man that desires life and loveth many good days that he may see good? That's not just existing. No, life And life more abundantly. So we are that man. You are that woman. And he says here is a key then. To seeing good days. Receiving good things. From a good God. 
He says, you must keep your tongue from evil. Or, you must keep your tongue from bad. You must keep your tongue from foul and polluting language. Not just saying words like H-E-L-L, no, and different words like that. I'm talking about corrupt communication that doesn't align itself with the Word of God. Doubt and unbelief and fear is communication that is corrupt. Because it has been influenced by the curse. And if you desire good days and having a good life, you must protect your tongue from speaking evil or speaking bad. If you want to see good, you got to speak good. I said, if you want to see good, you got to hook your speaker up with your believer and believe in your heart and say with your mouth what these exceeding great and precious promises say and learn the language of redemption and you'll see good every day of your life. One good confession to make is this regularly. Surely goodness and mercy. They're following me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, it is true. The death and life are in the power of the tongue. Jesus said this in Mark 11, verse 23. Don't you know that according to the word of God, your words are very important. He said in Mark eleven twenty-three: For truly I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Do you know that God did not call you to be a mountain climber? A lot of people are just kind of toughing it out through life. I'm climbing the mountain of life. No, he called you to be a mountain mover. Not a mountain climber. That whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed. And be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe in his heart. That those things which he saith with his mouth shall come to pass. He shall, the believer shall, have whatsoever he saith. Say with me, I'm a whosoever. And I'm having whatsoever. I say according to the word of God. So don't climb the mountains. Tell the mountains where to go. Some of you know how to do that. You've been telling people where to go your whole life. Your power. Keep smiling. Your power is in your believing and in your saying. That's where your power is. In Mark eleven twenty four, notice that verse. He says, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. How many of you got some big desires? Now, just make sure your big desires are in line with the word. For example, if you desire someone else's wife, that's not according to the word. Are you listening to me? If you desire someone else's automobile and lay a faith hint and say, the Lord told me you're supposed to give me the, give me that car. That's baloney. No, but I'm talking about desires that are in line with his will, his plan and his word for your life. If you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. If you'll seek him and speak good, you'll see it. Now, notice this. He said, therefore, I say unto you. So who's he speaking to? He's speaking to me. He's speaking to you. He says now here, what things soever you desire. When you pray, try to figure out how you're going to pay for it. 
When you pray for healing, try to figure out how you're going to get your healing. When you pray for your loved one to be saved, try to figure out how it's going to happen. No, put the how, the way, and all those things over on him. He never called you to pay for it. He called you to believe you receive when you pray. Now listen very carefully. My part and your part is to believe we receive when we pray. His part is to see that we have it. Don't try to do his part. Simply do your part. You see, faith is beyond our mind. Faith is not of the head. Faith is of the heart. Faith is a spiritual force. And believers, that's what they do. They believe. But where do they believe? They believe in their heart. They believe God's word, which is spirit, in their spirit. And then they say what they believe. Somebody says, well, that's just beyond my mind. Good. But it's not beyond your ability to believe. And it's not beyond your ability to receive. Now, for example, back in 1984, we needed a bigger building because we were growing as a church. And I had heard that Marina High School had closed down and that they were going to lease it. And so we were going to take a look at that high school to see if we could lease it because we were tired of setting up and tearing down and all those things. I mean, it gets old after a while. And uh, so... I went over there with a friend and I walked into Marina High School Gymnasium and I just looked around and I said, that's way too big for us. And dismissed it and walked right out. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. I said, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Because in the natural, it was too big for me. It was too big for my head. But it wasn't too big for God. But in order for God to do things for us in our lives... We've got to get those things in our heart where we can see ourselves doing what he's calling us to do. And so the spirit of the Lord began to work with me and deal with me and basically telling me, Lord, son, it's, it may be too big for you, but it's not too big for me. Now, what I want you to do is get in the word and allow my word to paint a picture of your prosperity and your wealthy place on the inside of you. And I want you to take hold of that place and claim it because I want you to have church in there. You see, it didn't fit here. And quite frankly, it didn't fit here at first. So it took a period of time for me to get down here what the will of God and the plan of God was for us as a church. Are you listening to me? You see, we talk about the ability of God. We talk about God's willingness. Yes, God is able. God is willing. And that's true. But I want you to notice in Ephesians 3.20, he said that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, but it is in direct proportion to the power of God that is at work in you. And the power of God that is at work in you is your faith. In other words, for God to do these exceeding, abundant, great things in our lives, we must believe it. We must receive it. We must declare it. It just doesn't happen by happenstance. It just doesn't happen because you're a good Christian and you're living a holy life. You can be a good Christian and live in a holy life and be poor as Job's turkey. 
You can be a good Christian and live a holy life and be defeated on other fronts of your life. You see, God wants us to take his word and believe it. Listen to this statement. If you're not believing the unbelievable or the impossible, you're not really believing at all. Just about everything God will ask you to do in the natural is impossible. But not with him. With God, all things are possible. See, God can't give you what you can't receive. So I believe then that we need to work more on our receiving in than we do trying to explain, well, it's just may not be the will of God. It is the will of God. Now look, notice with me in verse uh, 14. Depart from evil or bad and do good. Seek peace, not arguing, not fussing and fighting, and pursue it. Be a peacemaker. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Verse 17, read that with me. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears them, and delivers them out of all their troubles. Woo, glory to God. Anybody ever had any trouble? Seek God, call upon the Lord, and he will heal you, he will fill you, he will supply for you, and he will deliver you. Now, it's very interesting to me that the word good from the Hebrew and the Greek has several definitions. Listen to these. And when we talk about good, we're talking about God because God is good. You cannot separate goodness from God. Some definitions for good are beautiful, excellent, rich, prosperous, well, appropriate, beneficial, happy, honest, honorable, and right. So when we are saying God is good, we're saying that God is pleasant. God is beautiful. He's excellent. He's rich. God never shows up anywhere broke. He's not looking for anyone to pick up the tab. He's prosperous. God is well. God, our good God, always does what is appropriate. God is beneficial. He always does what is right. You can count on it. God is honest. But not only that, in spite of what pictures religion paints of him as some sourpuss, angry, uptight God that's going to get you for that, Newsflash, if God was going to get you for that, you would have already been done got. <laughs> Amen. Amen. No, in spite of a religion and the pictures religion points out of him, he's happy. Matter of fact, he's the life of the party. Now, he doesn't party like sinners party, but he parties like the righteous party. And you've never been to a party till you've been to a righteous party. I mean, it's joy, it's unspeakable, it's full of glory. There's a six-course meal. There's smiles on every one face. God is not a sourpuss. God is happy. Some of those pictures as I grew up, I mean, you'd see pictures of Jesus. You know, the meek and lowly Jesus. It looked like an inebriate. He looked like he was just emaciated. He looked like he was weak. 
No, the Bible says he was anointed with joy above all of his fellows. God's been misrepresented by religion. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. How many of you know that good is a God word? As you go through your journey and reading your Bible, you see the word good, insert the word God there. Or when you see the word God, the name God, put good there. For the Lord is good. Now notice, in Genesis chapter 1, all through the Bible, you'll see the word good. It begins in verse 1 of Genesis. In the beginning, God who is good created the heaven and earth, which are both good. How many of you know that the heaven and the earth was not corrupt in its original form? The heaven and the earth was absolutely awesome. Notice in verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of goodness, the Spirit of God who is light, moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was? You think about all that's come out of light? We sit in a room that's lit up. Psychologists and psychiatrists use light therapy. The medical field use radiation therapy. It comes from light. What was on the inside of God was pushed out through words. And he said, let be, light be. And light was. If we were to look for a phrase that describes our good God, the phrase in one simple sentence would be, He is absolute light. And He is Absolutely good. Say it with me, he is completely good, he is completely and, perfectly good. and perfectly good. So he stood back and said, Yeah, that's good. Verse 9, look at this. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Verse 10. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called the seas, and God saw. That it was good. He looked at Hawaii and said, That's good if I do say so myself. He looked at the Samoan Islands and he said, Woo, mucho gudo. He looked at the Caribbean and he, he looked at the, the beautiful islands of the sea and he, he looked even at the Bay Area. In its original form. And he said, oh man, that's good. He looked at perfection. He looked at the weather. How many of you know that the ecosystem, the weather system, it never rained like it rained yesterday in the Bay Area? How many of you had a downpour in your area? How many of you have ever experienced, I mean, a major downpour? But in its original form, there was just a mist that would come from the heavens. 
And the mist would take care of all that needed to be taken care of. It was very, very good. You know, millions of people blame God for hurricanes. They blame God for earthquakes. They blame God for tornadoes. You know, a couple of years ago in February, Brenda and I were in Branson, Missouri, and, and we were laying in bed, and all of a sudden it sounded like a train was going through the condominium. And we were staying with the Hagans, and Pastor Hagan stood up in the middle of the night and said, Mark, Mark, it's a tornado. <laughs> See, they, they don't call them tornadoes in the South, they call them tornadoes. They don't call them hurricanes, they call them hurricanes. And so it was, it was devastating. The next day we, we got up and we drove around Branson and there was devastation on the right and devastation on the left. Brenda and I didn't look at each other and say, man, that was such an awesome storm. That was so good. Years ago when Katrina hit New Orleans, nobody in their right mind could say that was a judgment of God. God does not send things like that in the earth because God is good. Listen, God and the devil have not swapped jobs. They've not swapped jobs. The enemy is the one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Well then, pastor, tell me one thing. How come those things happen? And how come good people are affected by some of those things? I'll have to tell you right now, I don't have all the answers. Any more than you have all the answers. Do you? You may not have the answers of why a good friend of yours who lived righteously and lived holy, why they died prematurely with cancer. You may not have that answer. Do you? You may not have the answer why little children suffer and battle devastating diseases like cancer. You don't have those answers, do you? But one answer that we do have is this, is that God is forever good. And I've learned this, that those things that I don't understand, and there are plenty of things I don't understand, I have learned to put over into the hands of God. And I feel this, that if God wants me to know some things, He'll tell me. And I'm intelligent enough to pick up what He's saying. And if He doesn't tell me, it's got to be for another time. Come on, somebody. So here's what you do. Here's what you do. When these devastating things happen around you, hear what you do. You know this, that the earth in its original form is not as it was today in its original form. The curse came. There is a curse in this earth. And a lot of these things happen simply because there is a curse in the earth. And here's what you do. For you and your house, you stay on God's side. You stay on God's side. You stay on God's side. You know, I may not be able to stop earthquakes. At 5.04 p.m. on October 17th or 19th, 1989, the San Francisco Giants were getting ready to host the Oakland A's in the third or fourth game of the World Series. 
And Loma Prieta hit. And it shook our area. How many of you were there then? It shook our area. And the look on people's faces and the streets where I live in Union City was just fear and terror. When I buried that man that was crushed in that freeway as a result of the earthquake, I could not say, oh, that was God and that was so very good. No, because it wasn't. Now listen very carefully. You may not be able to stop hurricanes. You may not be able to stop earthquakes. You may not be able to stop tornadoes. But one thing you can do, because you're in covenant with God, is you need to put your stake in the ground and say, in the name of Jesus, it'll not come nigh my dwelling. No evil shall befall me, neither shall any plague come near my dwelling. It will not, it will not, it will not affect me. It will not affect the church I pastor. Come on. Say with me, God is good. In spite of it all. He's still on the throne. He's forever good. And he's forever God. So stop trying to figure everything out. And just get in a position of faith and trust Him with your life. And don't oblige the devil by getting in fear. Don't help him by getting in doubt. Well, you just never know what God might do. Let's qualify that. What God might do, that's an open door to the enemy. We're getting to some areas here today. See, I believe in the sovereignty of God. How about you? I believe in the sovereignty of God. But you have to qualify what the sovereignty of God is and what the sovereignty of God is not. See, there are those that say, because God is sovereign, if God wants to do something to you in your life to teach you a lesson, He'll just do it to you so you can learn. If God, God is sovereign and He can cause your house to burn down today. If that's his will. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, God's sovereign. Okay, whatever the will of God is, the will of God is okay. You know what that does? Is that disempowers the believer. Because after all, if God is sending the hurricane, if God is sending the heart attack, if God is sending the cancer, I want the will of God. Are you listening to me? If that's God, I want it. No. That's disempowering to the believer. You've got to know what God's will is for your life. God's will is God's word. God's will is God's character. God is not the thief. God is the giver of life. God is the restore. God is the covenant keeper. Come on, somebody. Woo, glory to God. So are hurricanes good? How about tornadoes? How about earthquakes? And here's what religion will, tell, will sell you. And it's even, even in your insurance policies. It's under, it was an act of gall. Anytime you hear gall, you know it ain't right. Listen. Anytime people fail to understand why this happened or why that happened, they say, well, it just must have been God. 
And they somehow are satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with that. And so religion will tell you, you know, it was an act of God. And what that is doing, I'm going to take my coat off because I'm going to get serious right now. You know what that is doing? That is altering the word of God to fit what you think. There's a famous minister in the United States who has a very good friend who all he does is study food. He's very intelligent. And he was talking to this minister and he said these words. He said, you know, some of the food that you're eating has been genetically altered. Because basically they're trying to improve it. He says, you may have heard of genetically altered produce somewhere in the news. And then he said to his friend, this minister, he said this. He said, sometimes that happens with scripture. Sometimes that happens with scripture. That we have taken what is true and distorted it and produced something different from its original form. Figuratively speaking, this is me speaking, figuratively speaking, religion and man's ideas have genetically altered the Bible. Because they're reading it through eyeglasses of what their opinion is and what their experience is. Anytime you lower the word of God to your experience, you're in danger. God is not an opinion. You know why there's so many different denominations? This denomination, that denomination, the first this, the second that, the third that. You know why that is? Because we've been reading a genetically altered Bible. Some people don't believe God as He really is, as a reality. They want God to be an opinion. They want God to line up with their creeds and, and their doctrines. But God is not an opinion. He is real. He is alive. His word is truth. His word will tell you what you need to know. And so they alter the message. And you ask them, okay, now, all right, I know that's what you believe, and I know that's what you've been taught, but what does the Bible say? And you know, you'll find that they can't even quote a scripture. They can't even quote a scripture. Well, Dr. So-and-so said this. And Dr. So-and-so said that. Yeah, but what did God say? Now, you will find that I will never read a commentator in any of our services that I don't agree with. And for me to agree with the commentator, what they're commentating has to line up with the B-I-B-L-E. I don't want opinion. I don't want commentary. I want Christ. I want the truth because I know that it is the truth. Come on, somebody that will set me free. What does the Bible say? Can you back up that opinion with the word? Give me some scripture. It's okay to challenge man's opinions. What does the Bible say? Show me some verses. Well, I, this is just what I think. This is just my hermeneutical, theological 
this is just my opinion. Oh, so you've elevated what you think about what God, above what God says? That's pride. Say so, I mean, you got to know the word for yourself. I'm not going to live according to someone else's ideas. I'm not going to live according to what someone else has said about it. I've got to know what thus saith the Lord. Verse 11, let's look at there. You listen so good you could preach all day. But don't worry. We'll be out by 5 o'clock. Just kidding. Anybody getting anything today? Stay on God's side. You may not understand everything, but stay on God's side. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what needs to be revealed. Notice with me in verse 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed. Marijuana did not come in the original garden. Yes, Pastor, but it has some medicinal benefits. Yeah. To make you a dummy and cause you to have the munchies and eat more than you can handle. You know. Uh Uh-uh. Colombian red did not come from the garden. Let the earth bring forth grass. That's not the kind of grass. <laughs> you think about it in its original form. If things were like, if the curse never happened, if the fall never happened, you'd never have to mow your lawn. You'd walk out to your mansion, strutting in Jesus' name. Okay, grass, come up. Just, just, just not too much. Go back down. Okay, that's just right. See, everything in the garden was just right. And the fruit yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed it is itself upon the earth. And it was so, how many of you know fruit is good? Verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree field yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself. Verse 16, notice that with me. How many of you know that in the garden there was no bug infested tomatoes? The garden had good things. When I think of good gardens, I flash back to 1977 when I met Brenda. Oh, what a day it was when I met that blue-eyed, blonde-haired country girl from Pawnee, Oklahoma. (laughs) Woo, man. That's exactly what Adam said when he woke up. He said, woo, man, woman. If I was Jewish, I would say, such a deal. (laughs) Such a deal. If I got a deal for you. Whoo. Woman. I opened the door. She knocked on the door of my apartment. And wow. Thank you, Lord. But when I think about the Garden of Eden, I think about going to her farm before we were married 
and meeting all of her brothers and her sisters and her wonderful father, Johnny. And then I would think about the garden that was just outside the farmhouse. And uh, we would go out there in the garden and, and we would pull up some fresh okra. In spite of what you think, okra is not under the curse, it is under the blessing. <laughs> We'd pull out some okra and some fresh tomatoes. And, and you don't, Californians don't really know what sweet corn is. The sweet corn out here is tough. But the sweet corn in the valley of the jolly, ho, ho, ho. Green Giant, it's soft. It's fresh. Ooh, and it's good. It's good. Mm. Now, fried green tomatoes may be slightly demented by the curse, the fried part, but always good. I can remember we were first married and and for a season, I was working at Kenneth Hagin Ministries, and she wasn't working. She did get a job there later on. But I'd come home from work, you know, just full of the Word, because I'd spend eight hours in the Word every day, putting together tapes and putting together series and just full of the Word, full of the Word, getting paid for it. And I'd come home, and I'd walk in there, and my little sweet bride would be there. And she'd have a six- or five-course meal on the table. And I'd smile real big and I'd say, well, who's coming to dinner? And with that little cute little country southern twang, she says, I made it for you. (laughs) Yes, she did. I made it for you. I think, well, all right. I didn't know anything about vegetables growing up in Minneapolis. Meat, potatoes, salad, that was it. But oh man. And that's the will of God for your life. For the garden of your life to be full of good things. Not not just good things deep, but great relationships. I mean, days of heaven on earth in your marital bliss. Come on now. Not fighting and fussing and arguing, not getting in strife, not letting the devil in. But husbands and wives full of God, full of love, chasing one another all over the house. Amen. The garden of your life, God intends to be good. The Bible says He satisfies your mouth with good things. There's nothing better than a marriage that is of God and that is God sent and God given. Come on. Listen, there's nothing better than to have your children and your babies reading their Bible on their own. There's nothing better. It doesn't get any better than that. I'm sorry, Budweiser was wrong. The world thinks a 12-pack of Buds and Bratwurst and football all day long is awesome and it's great. They think that. But I'm telling you what, laying hands on your children when they have a fever and have that fever dissipate, dissipate under your hands is better than any Budweiser. He satisfies your mouth with good things. 
Everyone say good things. What's in the garden of your life? Are there weeds there? Are there thistles there? Are there things there that are not the plan and the will of God for your life? I say by the word of the Lord to you today, you can pull those things out. You can uproot those things. You can get rid of those things in the garden of your life that do not belong there. Mm. Say with me, he satisfies my mouth. With good things. Glory to God. I'm about to get happy. Hallelujah. Verse 18. Notice this with me. And to rule over the day, over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. He looked at the sun. He looked at the moon. He looked at the stars. And he said, that's good. That's good. And in verse 20, he created great whales. Anybody ever done any whale watching? No? You don't get out much. (laughs) And over every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. I'm going to tell you what, quail is good. Hallelujah. Salmon from Alaska that's wild. It's good. It's good. What about pork, Pastor? Well, I don't eat a lot of pork, but when I do eat pork, I sanctify it by the word of good of God and pray, and it's okay. Now, notice. In verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, the beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. Verse 25, And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, God saw that it was good. Verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Did you know that you are good? Because God made you. And then he says, let my man and woman have dominion over the fish, over the fowl, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Now notice verse 31. I want you to read verse 31 with me. Thank you, Lord. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was. It was mucho, mucho good. I can't look at starvation and say that's good. I can't look at cancer and say that's good. Because it was not a part of his original creation. So it's not his will. Look at Genesis 2 in closing. Real quickly. How many of you know that before Eve came on the scene, God needed to put some good in the garden? Amen? And in verse 10, he says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Passan, that is which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is 
You can say golden church. Where there is what? Yeah, but people have died. Gold diggers have died fighting over gold. But the gold ain't bad. The gold diggers were bad. You could probably hire someone to kill someone for $50 today. The dollars aren't bad. The person is bad. Gold is of God. You just ask your wife. You bring her home a 24-carat bracelet, you say, ooh, that's good. Verse 12. And we're going to get more into this next week. But it says, and the gold of that land is good. And there is Bedlam and the onyx stone. Now listen to the statement. Gold is good because God made it. And God is good. Now listen to this. Having a lot of gold in the right hands is good. Because good people can do a lot of good with gold. Can God trust you with gold? Seriously. If someone was to lay two, three million dollars into your hands today, would we see you next week? You know, that's why so many people that win millions and millions of dollars in the lottery three, four years later are broke, busted, and disgusted. Why? Because money handles them. They don't handle money. You're listening to me. I love this verse of Scripture where it says, part of the blessing in our life is that the Lord will make us plenteous in goods. Notice he didn't say he will make us plenteous in bads. When I go to the grocery store and say, I'm going to get some goods, and I bring it home, Brenda doesn't say, oh man, that's bad. (laughs) Goods. Goods. See, I think some way, somehow, the body of Christ needs to get out of their thinking that living with just enough is all right. Well, I have, I have enough to pay my rent. I have enough to put fuel in my car. I have enough retire. I have enough of this. I have enough of that. But God's will isn't just for you to have enough. God's will for you to have is surplusage and more than enough because He is more than enough. And when you have more than enough, you can minister more than enough through you to others. Come on now. Hallelujah. That's the plan of God. Stand up, everybody. Pray this with me. Hallelujah. Pray this with me. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voice. Make this strong confession today. Say it with me. Father, I receive with meekness the word of the Lord, which is so very good. Your word brings salvation and deliverance for my soul. Your word is pure and it changes the way I think. I choose to think in line, to speak in line, to act in line with my covenant that I have with a good God. I believe in my heart what your word says to me. 
And I say and declare with my mouth your promises. I desire to see good. Therefore, I will speak good. I will know, I will not want for any good thing. For the Lord is on my side. Now lift your hands up and say this together with me. As for what I don't understand, I choose to believe that you're forever good. And you're forever God. I choose to stay on God's side. And I put my stake in the ground today. And I proclaim no evil shall befall me. Neither shall any plague come nigh my household or my church or my nation. We stand on the word of God. And we rejoice in your goodness. In Jesus' name. Can I hear a good shout or something?